0: Hello and welcome to the Cultural Peeps podcast. My name is Ian Wealdon and I'm a lecturer in the School of Arts and Cultures at Newcastle University. This series is part of an ongoing project which explores different career pathways across the museum, gallery, heritage and wider cultural sectors. I really want this series to do three things. The first is to help early career professionals understand the huge range of ever-changing job profiles that now exist. The second aim is to help those professionals interpret job titles in the context of different venues and organisations. Sometimes jobs with the same title can be radically different depending on the organisation. The third aim is to help listeners understand that the people that make up any field of work are all human and that in turn plays a significant part in their unfolding career pathway and decision making processes. A few caveats. The recordings that form the basis for the podcasts aren't technically perfect. They're often grabbed in busy offices and in between meetings, so you can frequently hear the everyday world of work whirring on in the background. Just a final note, these podcasts are edited down from longer conversations, but I've tried to keep in as much of the original content as possible. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is Caroline McDonald. Caroline is the manager of the Great North Museum Hancock, which is a purpose-built museum situated in the centre of Newcastle. It was designed as a natural history museum in 1884 to house the growing collection of the Natural History Society of Northumbria. Between 2006 and 2009, The museum underwent a 26 million pound redevelopment which saw the merger of the original hancock museum with its building and collection with the museum of antiquities and the shefton museum i wanted to include caroline in the podcast because of the way in which she decided to retrain choosing to leave a potentially lucrative career in media and television to pursue a career in museums early in our conversation Caroline talks about her experience of being the first person in her family to go to university and not really knowing what she refers to as the rules, so assumed that you chose subjects that you were good at rather than those that you were really interested in. After identifying that she wasn't happy in her first career within media and television, she spoke to a careers advisor about what her options might be and started to rebuild around her interest in history. Caroline then used that first career in media and television to support her transition to a second career, returning to university to study archeology span as a mature student. Six weeks after graduation, she managed to secure a job on the Portable Antiquity Scheme. Around that time, Caroline joined the Society for Museum Archaeology, eventually becoming the society's secretary, which she cites as an important step in her career as it opened up a huge network of other professionals that were undertaking similar roles. This is a story which echoes Rob Airy's experience of becoming treasurer of the UK registrar's group back in episode 8. After moving into a new role following the merger of Colchester and Ipswich museums, Caroline started to bring together all her skills and increase her project management experience and she talks here about her enjoyment of working with creatives from different industries so exhibition designers, marketing specialists, as well as curatorial learning and collection staff and navigating and bringing together those different visions into a coherent overarching plan Following her role at Colchester and Ipswich Museum, Caroline then took up a post at the Museum of London, where she started to refer to herself as a knowledge manager rather than as a curator, citing that the collections were too big to really get to know inside out as a subject specialist. We talk here about how she devised different strategies for working with that vast amount of material that she was charged with. Caroline then started to look further afield for her next role. Happy to relocate, that search led her to apply for the job as manager at the Great North Museum. And since her arrival in 2016, she's worked on a number of large scale projects, including the Great Exhibition of the North in 2018, and Dippy on Tour, which brought the Natural History Museum's beloved Diplodocus cast to the museum over the summer of 2019. Towards the end of our conversation, I asked Caroline about the future of the museum workforce and he or she talks about the potential of professionalising and diversifying the sector, so the potential benefits of introducing people with different professional backgrounds from outside the sector who can bring fresh approaches and ideas, and how that approach can be balanced with promoting and developing talent from within. I've put links to as many of the organisations and projects that we cover in the podcast description so if there is anything that you'd like to look up that Caroline and I cover in our conversation then that's a good starting point. Don't forget that you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Soundcloud and Facebook using the handle at culturalpeeps and if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants and there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. That's it from me for now. I hope you enjoy the episode, and I hope you find it useful. For joining me today, um, the first question, which is the question that I ask all participants, is: Could you tell me a little bit about yourself? So, who are you, and, and what do you do?
1: So, I am the museum manager for the Great North Museum, and I work for Tyne and Wear Archives and Museums. But I'm in a really interesting position because, though I'm employed by Newcastle City Council, I work very closely with Newcastle University because the Great North is the university museum. So. I occupy quite an interesting space in uh, in time and we're archives and museums. So what does your day-to-day job look like? The interesting thing about this museum is we are a much-loved, public institution. We are, we've are. we been part of Newcastle City Landscape since 1884. We have a very um, loyal following from families across the metropolitan area, but we also serve a function as the University Museum. And on that front, uh, we are here to support teaching, learning, research, impact. So I have to wear quite a lot of hats in managing how the museum functions and why, it, why the museum exists, who it exists for, and all the competing kind of stakeholders and audiences that that involves. So on a day-to-day basis, I could be doing any number of things. So this morning, for instance, we we have the Great Exhibition of the North happening in 2018. This is a huge project for us. Uh, This morning, I've been writing up an outline AV brief because I have to contract some of the contractors I'm working very closely with our designers who are designing the exhibition. There's a lot of communication going backwards and forwards at the moment about procuring a lighting designer. So even though I'm a manager of the museum, I'm still quite involved in exhibition production. So there's exhibition production tasks going on. And spinning off of that is we're very much involved with the 2019 visit of dippy from the natural history museum and again we're having lots of um discussions with the key partner at the natural history museum but also around exhibition production with the teams here so exhibitions looms large i also do things day to day um around my team management so um I could be organising my team meetings, we organise an annual team away day. So I'm very much engaged with the well-being of my team. Uh, on a daily basis, I'm scanning across the team to see how everyone is, not just how they're performing and what they're doing, but is, is the ship running yeah, on a day-to-day um. basis? Is the ship happy? So this week I have been having um, catch-ups with people who are not my direct reports, just to take the temperature of what's going on in the office, how everyone's feeling after the new year break. And then i will do other things like um, hr stuff so i'm just in the middle of recruitment i'm doing lots of recruitment administration i'll then go into interviews i really enjoy recruitment because it's the one thing where i can really influence the character of the organization um, then i do lots of boring admin i have lots of forms to fill in i have to sign off petty cash so there's day-to-day housework but alongside that, and the main function of my role is to think strategically about this organisation, how I manage the relationships with the key stakeholders, particularly the university. So really, a large part of what I do is communication and advocation and thinking about how I am steering this organisation. Now, some days I'll have huge chunks of time to do that. I've just done the vision and the strategic documents, so I've set set aside time to do that. But there's almost this kind of daily triage or daily kind of dynamic assessment of of where the organisation is, its purpose, what are we doing this week, this month, this year that's going to help us fulfil that purpose. So there's a lot of strategic thinking goes on and I find that really creative and I really enjoy that conversation with stakeholders. So how does your role
0: here as manager or your title (coughs) here as manager fit into a wider uh, job structure within Tyne and Weir? I,
1: I think it's um I think it's a typical museum role but not a typical museum title. It's not a title yeah. I would put on myself. Yeah. So we uh, we're having actually maybe it's not as typical as I think it is. So the structure is that Ian Watson is the director of Tynum Weir Archives and Museums, and there are nine museums and art galleries in the group, and there are four museum managers who between them manage those entities. Yeah. Now I just happen to manage one big one, yeah. um, the Great North Museum. And so in my mind, I am kind of like a mini, a mini Ian Watson. <laughs> so I I am I'm like a mini museum director running my one organisation within the larger within the the group Um, and I get to do that kind of creative strategic decision making but the the flip side of that is I have to run the business so I have to be aware of what's going on in terms of footfall uh, what the retail take is what the cafe take is so and that's and I think that's probably slightly more unusual because normally you might have a what you might call a the kind of chief executive officer or, yeah. the, or the director and then you would have the business chief operating officer or financial officer who runs the business side yeah. and in a way I have to be a hybrid of those, those two things yeah. yeah those
0: kind of titles have changed really significantly in the last 10 15 20 years I think so those kind of roles of chief exec have started to emerge yeah. where and chief exec director manager whereas you know the, the the kind of stereotypical view of somebody that runs a museum is a curator that yeah. kind of idea yeah. that you know that's you think that's changed to reflect the changing times that we we exist in you've talked about these kind of commercial activities yeah
1: because you know but you know back in the day you know you would get the keeper yeah. you know and the keeper would run the museum that is not reflective of where modern museums are sitting now that museums have and still have a long way to go, I think, in professionalising themselves as businesses. Yeah. And what's happened is is that a lot of people in management positions in museums have come from the shop floor. They've come, like myself, through a curatorial route, which is, which is really good in one way, yeah. but means that you can sometimes be lacking in other areas, in the yeah. business areas. Yeah, yeah. So you have to really apply yourself. And when I was at university studying archaeology, never in a million years did someone... You know, if somebody had said you'll be sitting in meetings talking about how well the cafe's doing <laughs> or making yeah. decisions about exhibition content in terms of what the business return is, yeah. I just wouldn't have believed them because yeah. I I'm I'm an archaeologist, I'm a creative, I'm I'm engaged in higher purpose. But actually, I really enjoy the creativity of running the business. And so I think yeah. those those titles are a good thing because if, if somebody thinks they're going to be a museum director somewhere in the future, they need to understand what that involves. Yeah. And that future involves a lot of spreadsheets. Yeah.
0: So quite, I think that, that's quite an interesting point about how you start with a particular idea about where you think that your career might be going. So you talked about that archaeology. Is that how you saw your career unfolding originally? Is that what your plan was? So when you were a child, was that your...?
1: No. is the short answer my museum career is is completely accidental so I grew up in a very normal working class family in South London on a council estate where uh, I'd never even heard the word archaeology I went to the Natural History Museum to see the dinosaur maybe once or twice in my life we were not museum goers we were not culturally engaged Um, the biggest cultural influence on my life as a child was the television and going to the library so I was an avid reader uh, and I loved telly thought telly was the best thing ever um you still think is the best thing? Uh, ever? i do because i think it's i think i think there's a lot of snobbery about telly i think it's a huge cultural leveler you know we talk about people going to the opera or ballet or engaging with theater actually people engage with culture every day in the corner of their living room and so when i was reading books that i then saw as television adaptations i thought oh this is amazing this is what i want to do and i thought i'm going to work in telly And I went. So so how
0: old, roughly how old at that stage? Uh, I
1: was probably about 10. Right. And I went to, I was, I was kind of sucked into the grammar school system and going to grammar school completely changed my life. You know, in in that, in that kind of traditional way that grammar schools were meant to change kids' lives, you know, get to grammar school. I learn about stuff like Shakespeare, I learn about drama, I get to read classic books. You know, this whole world unfolds to yeah, me. Yeah. Very focused on going to working in telly as, as, I go, as I progress through. Get to the point where I'm going to university. No one in my family has been to university before. I don't know how it works. Someone sticks a handbook in my hand. I thought you had to do what you were good at. Nobody right. told me I could open that book and do anything I wanted. Right. So I opened the book up. I'm a good reader. Open the book, I'm going to do literature go, and quite, you know, go off and do a literature and drama degree, right. which I thoroughly enjoyed. By complete coincidence, I get into television six weeks after I graduate <laughs> <laughs> because um, I sent, you know, these were the days where you just had to write to people. There was no internet. So I wrote these letters. I wrote to Sky Telly, said, can I have a job? And they, they wrote back and said, we well, haven't got a job, but there's a new channel opening. Would you be interested? I said, Yeah. And it was the Shopping Channel. Now, QVC, the Shopping Channel, had just kicked off. It was an American thing. And I was looking for any way in. And there was a bit of snobbery around working for the Shopping Channel. But I have to say, everything I know about museums, I learned <laughs> from QVC, the Shopping Channel. Wow. I went, that's, yeah, it's a big statement. It I, is. Yeah. And, um, I spent a couple of years there. I was about seven years into my media career. This idea that I was going to direct, you know, costume dramas for the BBC never transpired. Because once I got in, you realise what forces are at play. Yeah. Um, You know, lots of nepotism. It's about who you know, not what you know. And I just wasn't from that world, you know, and I found it very hard to navigate once I was in. Had this huge career crisis uh, in my late 20s. I thought, what am I going to do? Though I was creative and I worked hard and, and people appreciated my hard work, I didn't know how to navigate that sector because I had not come from um, uh, a level of privilege. Right. I had not come from, you know, I'd gone to university, but university hadn't really equipped me for the world because yeah. I just, you know, my family didn't really know what I did. I couldn't explain it to them. Um, I, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't fathom it and, it and it all got a little bit depressing. And then I was working on content that I wasn't really fired up about. So I was doing game shows and chat shows and stuff so like that. So is this all in
0: London at the time?
1: This was... Uh, it started in London and then I went to um, Southampton, which was... Okay. So I was working for ITV in right. the south, the the regional television. And I was doing some um, freelance work for the BBC, which was, you know, which was fun, but ultimately wasn't, wasn't fulfilling me. And I had this whole kind of... Um, i i had this whole kind of moral dilemma within myself about the media because it really wasn't a nice industry to work in good work wasn't rewarded and i i just it wasn't for me and all through my time as a as um as a child and a young adult you know i i'd got very interested in uh arthurian literature I had an interest in celtic mythology and this was kind of what i was doing in my spare time right Okay. and through that i was visiting places so i you know i went on this huge odyssey to cornwall i would visit standing stones i would visit archaeological sites but not with the view of them as being archaeological sites it's because they were in my mind they were connected to this mythology so i went to glastonbury many times Climbed Glastonbury tour many times because I was interested in that Arthurian connection. It was, yeah. rom- for me, it was romantic. It was creative. It was escapism. Yeah. And I, so I had this career crisis and I went to see a careers advisor and the careers advisor said to me, what do you like doing? And I said, I really like visiting these archeological sites. And I really like going to museums because I'd become a museum visitor as i got become an older adult because I I wanted to see Iron Age stuff because it influenced this Celtic myth. And they said, why don't you do that? And I thought, blimey. And I said, how do I do that? And they said, you could volunteer at your local museum. I went. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll do that then. Must have been the easiest money they'd ever earned. Yeah. This career advisor. <laughs> so I then I'm living in Colchester at that time. I'm still working in TV, freelancing, and I rock up to Colchester Museum. said, could I volunteer? They, guess, they said yes, and I start volunteering in the museum. And all of a sudden, it's and um, it, uh, I thought, uh, oh, I'm quite interested in archaeology. I quite like this, and I went back to university as a mature student and did an archaeology undergraduate degree.
0: So what work did you specifically do when you were volunteering there?
1: So I did uh, So I did lots of um, object movement, so what I would, you know, the kind of donkey work, just yeah, moving collections, stuff, collections uh, movement, yeah. um, not even documentation, just physically moving boxes. But
0: that was enough for you, that connection with the material and the environment?
1: Yeah, the connection with material, that kind of privileged access to stuff, but actually working with the teams. So just yeah. getting to know people in the museum and just yeah. chatting when you're in a, in a chain of people moving boxes, that experience, you know. That. And then I was given jobs um, that were slightly more collections-focused, so little jobs here and there where I had to write a little bit of blurb for something. Yeah. Or, and then I was asked to remark envelopes with Roman coins, and part of that process um, involved the curator teaching me how to identify Roman coins. And so, you know, and from then, you know, it kind of just snowballed. I went back to university and during the three years of my undergraduate degree, I continued volunteering. So I was earn, I was learning about archaeology and I was doing yeah. practical stuff with archaeology in the museum. And that's, and so it really happened by chance. You know, if that, if that careers advisor had said to me, you know why don't you oh well have you thought about you know what's what's going on in the digital world or have you thought about what's going on in
0: so just to go back a little bit was that a massive sea change from the work that the first your first experience of university
1: um it it was but i found connections so one of the things that really uh was a was a light bulb moment for me and this, and this was before I had considered studying archaeology because in my mind I still thought that wasn't for me, that wasn't for people like me. And I had I collected books about Arthurian literature, I still do on occasion, and a lot of it is obviously novels. But I picked up a book one day called By South Cadbury, that is Camelot, not realising it was a monograph about an archaeological dig. And just reading through this, and I suddenly there was this little light bulb moment where I thought, blimey, this stuff could be real. And so then where I was going to Iron Age Hillforts, because I thought they were hugely romantic places in the landscape and they'd been mentioned in Thomas Hardy, suddenly I saw them with new eyes and that actually these were real people and there was real stuff going on here. And um, so that connection to me was quite important. So studying archaeology was interesting because um, there was still that romantic connection for me but then you start to see that slightly more kind of social science connections yeah, slightly more scientific connection as well so you're volunteering at the same time yeah and
0: coming to the end of your degree yeah what were you thinking at that point what with what was your game plan did you so
1: i did have a game plan the game plan was at some point in the future to become a curator okay because to me having been in a museum i thought yeah the curators do all the fun stuff and there was at that time and there still is this idea that the curator were interesting, important people. Yeah. You know. So I thought, yeah, I want a bit of that. And but there was something about being a curator that was still about storytelling. And there was something about museums and exhibitions which I've I've said, you know, to other people in the past, display cases are just like television broadcast yeah. but in really slow motion <laughs> so museums That's are good. so museums are broadcasting museums are broadcasting stories but just in a different wavelength yeah. Yeah. and so for me the way to to utilize all of that stuff I'd learned at QVC yeah. in a museum setting was to be a curator but I knew I wasn't going to walk straight into that job so for me it was looking for those collections connected roles yeah and I got to the end of my degree and during that degree, my boyfriend and now husband and I had just bought a house. So at the end of that degree, there was, no, uh, there was no question that I was going to do any more study. I had to get out and earn money. And six weeks after I graduated, a role came up in the Portal Antiquities Scheme um, at Colchester Museum, where I was volunteering. And because I had spent four years working on local archaeological material, I was suddenly really well-placed to go for that role, and I did, and I got it, and that was that was how I got in. So there is an argument that it's about luck, about being in the right place at the right time. However, I had you spent... You invested heavily I, in that Yeah, I'd spent three to four years putting myself mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. right place. You started that
0: role, and was that on a fixed-term contract? Or
1: a... Uh, yeah, that was... Um, no, I think they, yeah, I think it was a three year contract. I, think, I can't remember. It was quite a long contract though. Yeah.
0: That freelance work that you'd done before in media. Yeah. W- did you have a confidence that you'd be able to kind of dovetail these things together, even if it might've been a bit naive within a particular, you know, this shift in sector and did that help you at all?
1: Yeah, I was completely naive and, and I have all through my career. I've just, I'm still naive all through my career. I've just taken, <laughs> I've just taken the stance that it will happen. Yeah. it will happen, and it has always happened yeah. for me. And I think that might be a little bit naive. I might be underselling how much preparation I do. I was going to say, <laughs>
0: you know, there's a difference between a lot of compressed experience yeah. and, then, and then saying, oh, well, it's, you know, I mean...
1: Yeah, I think I've spent a long time being prepared, which means that when opportunities arise, I've been better placed. Oh, yeah. But I've always uh, kind of mentally taken the position that it, it will happen. I mean, it never at one point when I had when I was leaving a very very lucrative career in the media that my career in museums was never going to happen that you know that I would crash and burn and it it would all come to naught never thought that so when I so when I graduated I thought right now I've got to get the job yeah oh and here's the job it's good (laughs) but it's it's just good worked worked
0: out pretty well Yeah, yeah 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 yeah
1: But, but the free, but the freelance thing definitely helped because I never looked at a job advert and thought, oh, it's only a, a year's contract. So you
0: went for the content of those roles as they came up, as opposed to thinking strategically yeah. about those other...
1: But to be fair to anyone listening to this, I was in a very privileged position that I had a career that I could freelance in, yeah. that I could fall back on. Yeah. And were you um, still doing any
0: of that stuff at that
1: I, I did until the day I got that job right
0: so you did that through the degree
1: yeah I worked through my degree Right. Okay. I volunteered through my degree I, 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 um, um, I approached my degree as a job yeah okay uh, I was a mature student I didn't yeah, need to do yeah. all of yeah, yeah, I didn't need to do all of that you know yeah. so to me it was a job and I yeah. had a very strict timetable and I, I volunteered and worked as part of that timetable
0: so that first job at Colchester, yeah. um, what what did that look like? What kind of work were you doing there?
1: So the Portland Antiquity Scheme is a voluntary recording scheme for members of the public to come and record archaeological discoveries. Yep. The majority of those people are metal detector users, yep. and it was co-managed with the British Museum. So I was very fortunate that I was working with a major partner I had a lot of contact with the British Museum through that role yeah I learned a lot about archaeological objects it's one of the few careers still out there that gives you real um, object-based learning opportunities and it was a huge uh, learning curve in terms of stakeholder management so the relationships you had to build with people who were quite frankly quite hostile uh, didn't want to engage with uh, the establishment, I had to go out uh, late night evenings in the back rooms of pubs. But lots of people who really genuinely wanted to engage and like me, were from a, f- from a working class background, didn't have a route into Probably. history and yeah. archaeology and this was their route in, you yeah, know, and yeah, I was very, yeah. uh, very hyper aware of that and very respectful of that and yeah. that was an advantage for me and, you know, taught me lots that role.
0: So what happened next? What did you...
1: So I was, so while I was the Fines Liaison Officer, something that I did which was really important for my future career, and I mention it here, is I joined the Society for Museum Archaeologists. And I joined as a student member originally, and then I got engaged with it as a professional and I joined the committee. That opportunity opened up almost the entire network of museum archaeologists in the UK. And I eventually became secretary of that. And because of that, my network reach was quite large. And that's a really, that was a really important factor in my career. Yeah. And at the time when I joined, I just thought, oh, it's something you need to be a member of. Yeah, So, yeah. I'll, so I'll join it. So that was ticking over in the background. My network building was going on there. And then um, Colchester Museums merged with Ipswich Museums. And I, uh, an opportunity came up to do um, a project around the designated archaeological collections at Colchester which was to devise and deliver a mobile museum project. Based on the archaeology collections now uh, I was well placed to do that role because I had a lot of public outreach experience by that point I'd done three years in the Port Antiquity Scheme and what so I went for the role got the role And then I had to devise this whole project, and it was an 18-month project. It was the first time I had a direct report because there was a project assistant, so I started my line management kind of experience. Uh, I had all that public engagement experience, and I had all that stakeholder experience working with other organisations who might want to use the mobile museum. And then I had to project manage, and that was really my first uh, project management experience and budget-holding experience. So that was a huge learning curve yeah. for me. And, you know, they gave me this chunk of money and I, you know, I was terrified. I was really bad at maths. And I just, oh, they've given me money. I don't, oh, this is going to be <laughs> awful. But actually you learn. So what bit
0: was scary about that? The fact that you were accountable for it? Or... Yeah,
1: that you're accountable for the money. But it was, to, it was I think it was around, um, i trying to think of how much the, the project value was something like £100,000, which yeah. to me just seemed immense. Massive, yeah. It seemed massive and that somebody had put, trusted me with that much this, money. Yeah. And there was also uh, the first time I had to evaluate a project. So I think, you know, it's there's, there is much to be said about just getting through the door yeah. and building a relationship with an organisation yeah. and how creating good, solid relationships with colleagues has an impact on your future career.
0: So you said before about the importance of mentoring. So did, did you have any formal mentoring through the, any of this initial process that you had
1: there? Yeah, so one of the things, when I became a fines liaison officer for, for that first role is because I didn't have a museum studies um, degree, and at the time, a lot of the job adverts insisted on it. In well,
0: as essential? Yeah, as rather, an essential yeah, rather than yeah, desirable. desirable.
1: There was this whole phase where it was an essential. essential yeah. Or the AMA. Yeah, and I chose to do the AMA route because I I much preferred on the job training. Yeah, I didn't want to study. I couldn't afford to study. Yeah, uh, so I did the AMA, and through that you get given a mentor. Yeah, and so that was really the start of my mentoring um, relationships, which I have continued to this day. So I have always had a mentor of some shape or description. Yeah, and I would kind of learnt that through being burned in the media, just having that sounding board. Yeah. And somebody who but also people who have shifted from um, what I call being a mentor to being a sponsor so mentor so in my mind um, mentoring you know you have somebody there who's going who's helping you be that sounding board is, is talking things through, through with you but when you develop really deep relationships with people in your network they, they there's this subtle shift into sponsor people who will actively, go out to people and say, do you know, that Caroline McDonald, she's really interesting. You should yeah, look out for her. Yeah. I know you're going to be recruiting soon. Yeah. You should watch out for her.
0: So it's interconnected with that whole network. Yeah. You've been yeah, 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 yeah. But it's
1: somebody who actively sponsors your career. Yeah. You know, so relationship building in your network Is serves you in different ways. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So with, with, with initially there was that mentor Within your organisation or outside of your organisation?
1: No, they were outside of my organisation. The AMA, the Museums Association, has has a list. Now, it it just turned out that my uh, dissertation supervisor at UCL was on that list. Oh, right. (laughs) And I had enjoyed my relationship with him, and I kind of asked him if he would continue that relationship with me. And we, st- and we started, uh, he started mentoring and he is still, he's become a very good friend, you yeah. know, and he still mentors me to this day.
0: Okay, let's go back. You started yep. the curatorial role. Yeah. So what did that look like? How, how did so that
1: I, unfold? <clears throat> so I turned up at Ipswich Museum and Ipswich Museum uh, was... Is this a different site? It's a different site. Yeah. So, so culture... The Colchester and Ipswich merger was really interesting. It was the first cross-border merger yeah. in that kind of period of where austerity was really biting and councils yeah. were looking at alternative ways. So I, I, so, so I physically had to commute. So I, I physically left behind Colchester and the teams there. I was now in Ipswich with new colleagues. Yeah. Some, obviously some connection to, to Colchester through the management systems. And I turned up and quite frankly, the museum was, was in chaos. You know, there was decades of um, neglect in terms of documentation, collections management. And, you know, people would ring up and say, oh, I believe you, I have such and such in your collection. And I couldn't quickly tap into a system. I had to physically go and look go through boxes, book, yeah. you know, so there was a lot to be done there. And that was a real wake up call for me just looking at the sheer complexity of collection management when it was in such a state. And then shortly after I took that role, one of the key projects put on the table for me was the re-display of the Egyptian gallery. So there was an Egyptian collection there. The display was at least 15, 16 years old. And so that was my kind of first permanent gallery. And that was really where I got to um, really test all of those skills that I had learnt throughout my entire career. And it was a really amazing project to work on. I wasn't an Egyptologist in any shape, way, or form. And in a regional museum, you know, you have to apply yourself in all sorts of ways because yeah, yeah. you're not surrounded by loads of colleagues with the, all their various specialisms. And that was a very, very happy project. I had to project manage as well as curate. So I had to project manage the team. I had to interface with um, my first bit of construction. So we weren't expecting a construction element to the gallery, but it then transpired. I had to work with an architect for the first time. I had to work with a with a gallery as a construction site, and all of that all of that entailed in terms of process and quantity surveying and signing off. Just going so like a manager
0: here. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely.
1: So that that experience was a really happy one because it was super creative, yeah. but actually started to stretch my skill set even yeah, more in yeah. ways I had never imagined. But
0: everything that you've said so far starts to come together there, doesn't it? See, yeah. So and...
1: everything I'd learned at QVC. Because we were selling stuff, everything I know about how you tell stories around objects, I learnt there. And so you had this huge opportunity to tell a story in this gallery. Um, So there was that hugely wonderful creative stuff, that broadcast element that I liked. Working with other creatives, which I really liked, working with the designers and the art workers. And then this layer of project management and then this kind of uber layer of project management, working with the construction team. And the architect, so and a big budget, another big budget, so um, that you know it was all starting to come together.
0: So how how long did you do that role for?
1: I did that role. I took it on in two thousand seven, I think, and so I left in twenty eleven. So, so yeah, three and a half, four years.
0: Okay, so we. Just, I mean, you said that you bought a house at this point. Yeah. So, I think some of this stuff in the background is quite kind of important. It is.
1: I'm. St- I've bought a house in Colchester. Right, that's where okay, I am. Right. So, I am.
0: and it, is that influencing career decisions by this point?
1: It is. So, so Colchester Ipswich Museum. Then, after a couple of years, have to like many local authorities, go into another round of reorganization. Yeah. Colchester Castle at that point is at the start of a journey of a major redisplay okay and there is a curator of archaeology at colchester leading on that project yeah it did not take a fortune teller yeah to look at the org chart and think
0: this is the way to go <laughs> there are there are
1: two there are two curators of archaeology one is engaged in a major capital project yeah if i was looking at the org chart maybe maybe I'd, i'm not in that yeah. org chart yeah now i knew i was well liked and well respected that or but that, that my museum director could not promise me that I would be in that new orchard yeah, yeah. in the way he couldn't promise anyone. Yeah. So I started scanning around. You know, there was there was a big change on the horizon. I. But was, still
0: locally, though? Were you still thinking locally?
1: Yeah, so because where I was in Colchester, I had a corridor. My yeah. corridor was up to Norfolk and yeah. Norfolk Museum Services or down into London. And, lo, a senior curatorial job comes up at the Museum of London. Yeah. And I... I thought to myself, I'll punt in. And it literally was okay. that, I'll punt in. And then I pitch up as a senior curator of prehistory and Roman. And that was really quite terrifying for me because all through my archaeology career, I'd been a generalist. Yeah. I'd never specialised. Yeah. And, and, I get to, and what, what was interesting about that role, the prehistory and Roman collections had been previously curated by two individuals. Due to cuts at the museum, they'd combined it into one. they were vast collections to look after and I started at that point to shift my perception I couldn't be a curator of those two collections and I started to refer to myself with my colleagues and external people as a knowledge manager I had to look at those collections in completely strategically different way I had to think about where I could uh, use my networks and use other stakeholders to keep the collection knowledge growing, because I couldn't own it all, it was too big, yeah. it was too big, and so that was a really interesting shift, yeah. because people would still pitch up and expect me to know everything there was to know about Roman Britain, Yeah. Uh, you know, or London, Roman London, Yeah. and I just was not that encyclopedic.
0: Was your goal at that point to grow that, that knowledge base that you had slowly, or were you thinking at that point, I'm quite happy with the baseline knowledge that I've got, and that there are other things that I can bring to the organisation
1: there? It's not that I was fairly happy with my base knowledge. I was realistic about it. And I, and, I, and I also saw people who were going on to do MAs and PhDs and that real specialism, and they were kind of, in my mind, and, and this isn't, you know, a, a PhD takes a lot of hard work, but it seemed to me that they were learning more and more about less and less. Yeah. And I really enjoyed my broad um, yeah. kind of portfolio of knowledge and gaining knowledge and learning new things. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't for me. And I, I am not academic. I don't consider myself academic. So it wasn't, I didn't like, uh, not that, no, it's not that I didn't like it. The academic model of curatorial work wasn't suited to me. Yeah. So I was very happy. And, you know, when I, um, when I was recruited into London, they told me one of the things that set me aside was my work in the media right okay. so so the museum was starting to shift its <laughs> idea of what it wanted in a curator and I just come along and it the piqued their interest that's really interesting yeah. isn't it
0: That then they openly said that to you as well that's quite yeah that's really interesting
1: yeah absolutely and uh so it was that mix of my media experience my communication experience my archaeological experience had made me quite interesting Pops in their together, eyes. Yeah. yeah. So and that and that was a real um, boost for me because there were moments and there continue to be moments in my career where I think, Oh, I don't know enough. Yeah. I'm some kind of imposter. So, so actually you
0: sounded really confident all the way through this process. Yeah. So have there been regular or periodic kind of moments where you've you've had that that kind of feeling? Totally
1: totally but you know the museum of london openly saying that they were interested in that past career was a real confidence boost yeah. for me and that they were interested in me holistically as a person not as my job title and not as my, my so manager. how did those things start to,
0: to map together then first career second career stuff how, how did that
1: So it it mapped together in a project that I was given at the Museum of London. So this this kind of snowball is rolling. It's gathering and gathering and gathering. So I've got my archaeological knowledge, I've got my object knowledge, my collections knowledge, my exhibition knowledge, my project management knowledge. And the Museum of London, um, I was was brought on to primarily re-display the Roman galleries there. And it was going to be a huge, multi-million pound project. I mean, hugely exciting. And I'd started work with a designer. I was, as I described to other people at the time, I was match fit. I was really at the top of my <laughs> curatorial game, my exhibition game. And I joined. It was all in motion. It was really exciting. Um, we were doing all the concepts, which was the stage I really enjoyed. Okay. And then the director left.
0: Right.
1: And a new director came in, said, I don't want to do the Roman Gallery project anymore. I was crushed, I was gutted. And then that director took their time in embedding in, in, as they should do, yeah. thinking about the strategic uh, direction of the organisation. And there was a there was lots of kind of strategic thinking going on about the museum and the core purpose and what did the museum stand for as the Museum of London. Yeah. And I was asked with another colleague to come up with a content framework. Yeah. So how would the content of the Museum of London be conceptually organised in a way that would take it to a a new future, which eventually involved a new site in Smithfield, which is going on. And what was really amazing about that project was the director charged me and another senior curator of social history to lead that project She gave us a lot of free reign. And so really we were managing quite a a strategic piece of work from the middle of the organisation. So we had to deal not only with our peers, we had to deal with um, kind of the the level of of colleagues below us, but also managing up into the senior management team. And we were given the opportunity to bring in an external mentor for that project, to make it our own. That mentor helped us not only shape how the project would work but how to manage upwards which was a huge learning curve and also there was that um, kind of real deep strategic conceptual thinking about museum concept and um, content rather and this was content in the broadest sense this wasn't thinking about archaeology so go away and think about the archaeology Caroline this was given I was given a remit to think about the entire content so social history fashion
0: do you find that you tend to position yourself with a by accident or on purpose, where that looks interesting, hand up. The you, you know, or are these roles coming to you, you know, because of your past performance. Or... So it's a mixture
1: of both. Yeah. So early on in my career, I was thinking that's looking interesting. I'll go for that. And then what happens is you become more skilled, and you develop a sense of working um, where people start to see you as a, as a come yeah. back to this holistic. Yeah. You know, it's more about you as a person and your ability and your communication yeah. and how you work yeah, you can do it, yeah. as opposed to your job title yeah. and your specialist knowledge. Um, but what that requires is somebody in a senior position to take a leap. And actually, uh, the director, the new director at the Museum of London, absolutely took that leap with myself and this other colleague. And it was a huge gift, actually, that somebody hadn't pigeonholed you. And it's something, it's a stance i try to take with my own engagement now with colleagues and people I manage. And through that process, creating this content framework, um, that had really started to suck me away from my collections work. I was involved in strategy. And what that was starting to do was to give me a taste of having influence yeah. in, in an organisation. So suddenly, what I was working on could change the whole direction Everything. of that organisation. And that was a really interesting um, creative uh discovery but also you discover quite like having a bit of influence yeah because you move from a position you know that there's certain points in your career when you're when you're way down the ladder and you get frustrated by things and you kick against it and you think oh why why is it working this way i'd do it completely differently and then you reach a position in your career when you can actually say why Why don't we do this why don't we do this and that was a position i'd reached at the museum of london i thought wow i like this <laughs> and so whereas before i thought curator was where i was heading and where i was going to stop yeah um i was sucked in by by happenstance to yeah. this project which started to change my world view.
0: do you think part of that is because you enjoy working with people with like groups of people stakeholders because again there's a pattern there isn't there so is that something that you think consciously about
1: i, d- I don't think it's Super conscious, but I enjoy the conversations, right. and I've always enjoyed those conversations. And I've never been, um, I've never been one of those people who just wants to sit in my office and get on with it. Yeah, be on my you seem
0: like, like that. That as an academic. So no, that kind no, of, I am I mean, They do the doer kind of. Uh...
1: It's it's uh, thinking back to the media, you know. I directed a studio, and what I really enjoyed about that direction was that engagement with other creatives. Yeah, yeah. Where you each bring something to the table, and you create. output together and it's a shared experience yeah and i really enjoy that and but i also through my love of literature and theater and drama i really enjoy other people's creativity i really enjoy how clever people are and i really like the idea that if you put a bunch of people in a room that that you know um none of us is smart as all of us so what happened next
0: So you're in London?
1: So I'm in London. I've just done this amazing project. The museum is now talking about moving site and completely reinventing itself. And at that point, you think, uh, this should be the most amazing project in the world to be involved in. But there were things happening in the organisation that politically I couldn't buy into. So I'm very driven by my own kind of um, values, if you like, for want of a better word. And... The direction of the museum was changing in a way that I didn't really buy into. There was a future being painted where I thought, it's not really the future I want to be part of. Yeah. Um, not sure I agree with some of the decisions that are being made. I've had a little bit of influence, but now I don't, you know, I don't have enough influence yeah, to again. influence the big yeah. decisions. It's not really how I do it. Maybe it's time to start looking elsewhere. So how long
0: you'd been there at this point?
1: I had been there... Uh, so that was... I have been. I joined in November 2011. This was the end of 2015. Okay. So four, there's a pattern. I, I change roles every three four, to four, four years. Four years, right, okay. And somebody once said to me that it made my CV look flighty. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I actually said, well, it's not about being flighty, it's about I I either...
0: In yeah, what context? Then did they say
1: that? Was well, that well, I don't... You know, they would. They looked like nice. at my job interview. Or um, they, no, this was a mentor. mentor actually. Writer. This was really recent as well, and they were just <laughs> reviewing my CV with me. And they said, "Oh, you look a bit flighty," and I said, "No, I'm just interested in new things. Yeah. I'm curious. I want to grow. And sometimes some of those some of those roles I've outgrown, yeah. or something new has presented itself, and I want to have a go." And he, you know, they said, "Oh, maybe your CV doesn't reflect this curiosity, Caroline." <laughs> <laughs> so I have to go and review my CV. But there was a pattern there. I was getting to the, the four years. I'd had that kind of growth spurt yep. through this project. And I thought, well, right, what's next? Um, and I started to scan the horizon. I really wasn't serious about my job hunting at that point. But but what had happened in the background was my husband's job changed, which meant he worked at home. Right, okay. So suddenly we could go... The your oyster. Suddenly yeah. the world's, the world's the oyster. I, I said, I'm going to start looking. It may take us away from Colchester. There was a lot of discussion about what that would mean, yeah. and uh, so I did my consultation with the Home Office, <laughs> and we and we had decided that actually the time was right for us. Yeah, the time was right, and I start scanning. the The this job comes up in Newcastle. I go home. I say, "This job, this job has come up in Newcastle. Don't think I'll get it, but I will apply for practice." Um, and I punted in and got an interview i thought oh, okay nice. at this point i'm thinking oh, i'm a wild card i'm a wild card because i'm, I'm just not experienced enough right. for this in my mind i'm saying this and i get an interview and i come up uh do the interview i say my goodbyes to everyone thanks very much go back and i was sitting in my office and then i didn't hear anything for ages and ages and ages sitting in my office at london the phone rings hello and i thought oh this is the thanks but no thanks cool, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm literally, I've got it crooked under my ear, I'm still typing, reading, yeah, yeah. doing my work, yeah, 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 it's great, I'm, yeah, that you've deliberated, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get to the point that where we'd like to offer you the job. And I literally went home that night to my husband and I said, you know that job in Newcastle? They've just offered it to me. <laughs> what do I do? And my husband says, well, we're going, we're going to Newcastle, aren't we? <laughs> and he, actually, he accepted it much much more more quicker, than, more than, quicker much. than I did, yeah, yeah, which was that's... good. And we... Uh, Within two months, we were here. Wow. And I didn't really... I visited the museum. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really know Newcastle, didn't know the North East. Yeah.
0: So you've come into the museum, which has undergone massive transformation yeah. in the last slightly more than 10 years, I yeah. think now. Yeah. So um, going from what was previously Hancock yeah. into the Great North Museum. Yeah. So how have your previous experience is fed into your new role?
1: So the big thing about this job is the stakeholder management. There's a very complex web of relationships with um, the university and the Society of Antiquaries, Newcastle upon Tyne and the Natural History Society of Northumbria. So there is a legacy, um, and in the Natural History Society's case, you know, hundreds of years of legacy that you have to deal with. So there's a lot of stakeholder management that goes on there never actually come into a, an organization with such complex yeah, um, yeah. relationships going on the fact that i'd never worked in a university museum yep. was so i had to <laughs> so i had to very quickly understand the university landscape and understand the priorities of the university uh working with academics that, so that's a whole new yeah. whole new realm of experience for me so so all of that previous experience uh in that conversation being able to have that conversation has been really important throughout my career, and then there's the project management stuff. So I pitch up. Uh, they said to me in the interview, "What's the one thing you think you'll struggle with, Caroline?" And I said the budget. That didn't put them off. So they, <laughs> so they've given me this job. That we have a fantastic senior accountant that I work with. So yeah. that's the one lesson: is you don't do this thing in isolation. Yeah. There's yeah. a support system around you, and then you move from a budget of, of a hundred thousand, mm. which I thought was immense, to. million yeah but now i've learned that actually of that 1.5 million so much of it is already tied up that actually what you're playing with is you know is nowhere near that yeah so i've become less less afraid of the numbers yeah but then i was thrust into this whole you're running a business
0: yeah
1: and that's been that's been the biggest learning curve for me and that's why i have been very um uh, careful to put the support around me and that learning opportunity around the business yeah. and business resilience. Yeah. Um. It's so that's why I'm currently on a um, kind of a leadership resilience course, is that you do not you do not nobody is born a leader nobody is born a manager and especially if you've come through the curatorial route. Yeah. Like I have, you're not you're not born a museum manager. So it's really important that you equip yourself yeah, to do the job. Yeah. And you know so.
0: So the, the language as you've moved through these roles, the language obviously changes from curatorial and you know we've kind of moved through to the position that you're in now which you, you've used more business yeah. uh, kind yeah. of language to describe some of the, the role that you're working on at the moment. So what do you think, what, what do museums look like going forward from here? What are the big challenges that museums face from here?
1: So I think that the difficulty museums have is that they are working to uh, a model that is at least 250 years old. So they have, the model has to change and lots of museums are moving to change that model. And part of that is professionalising the management of museums. So I think um, the challenge is, as we are in in a financial environment that is not going to get any better where we have to be entrepreneurial and we have to be more business minded is not not siloing people into careers and saying, right, you're a curator and actually you don't have an MBA. You can't possibly run a museum yeah. is if people show the flair and the desire to move into management is yeah. how we are supporting those people to achieve what we're doing. Because I think in the past, what's happened is people are promoted or they're moved up for various reasons usually because it's the path of least resistance yeah and people have been around a long time and it's felt that they should just move on actually there is a there is a role at kind of director and senior leadership level to think more strategically about how we are growing people and i and the one thing i've really got engaged with is recruitment i mentioned that earlier on because the people you put in your organization sets the tone and culture for that organization and there's something about uh to me, it's moving away from um, focusing in on the subject specialism. You know, you can have somebody who's the best archaeologist in the world has is all social historian, yeah. has all the knowledge. But if we're not growing them as a person, yeah, well, and if we're not upskilling them in other ways and and looking at them more holistically, how are they ever expected to, you know, move into the ranks? And what we don't want is a is a scenario where we're just bringing in people from other sectors at the management position to run the business though there might be arguments for some organizations to do that if they're particularly large organizations
0: there's there's been this is quite an interesting aspect isn't it because the growth of the museum sector or the the cultural sector including heritage you know museums galleries everything together there that came out of the heritage lottery Mm. fund saw a massive increase in capital projects or redevelopment projects And you could argue that the managerial skill set lagged behind that because that takes time. So all of a sudden we can build a building, but if you don't have anybody to kind of manage and and come together with a vision for that in this new way of looking at at the offer that we have, it's tremendously difficult. So, you know, there are things like the Claw Foundation that are brought through and obviously the the training that you mentioned there, the managerial...
1: So one thing I haven't mentioned because I forgot about it was, uh, in 2011, I did the Getty Next Generation Leadership right, Course. Right. Okay. So that's about that was about equipping me um, through mentors and through kind of those kind of courses and uh, because not because I thought I was going to be a museum leader, but because somebody had seen something in me and suggested, yeah, why don't you yeah. do it?
0: Which is often the way it happens. Yeah. And that's you know that's.
1: But also because it was just another creative thing to explore. Yeah. And, and I was kind of playing around with this idea that uh, you can be a leader at any level you are in the organisation. And, I, you know, that idea of liking influences, you can influence an organisation in all sorts of ways, from yeah. all sorts of positions. Yeah. Um, so, so that had started to expand my mind uh, in a way that when, you know, these opportunities presented themselves and those leaps were presented... You know, I was comfortable with it. you mentioned before about, about I just want to go back just to ask you a question about the
0: professionalism. So you said one of the biggest challenges that we have in the sector is professionalising museums. So could you give me a bit more detail about what you mean there? So it's
1: just um, so this so it's just about what kind of roles you're bringing into your structure. So right. where you have a museum director who 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 may have come up uh, through the sector and it's very sector embedded actually if you have a chief operating officer it doesn't really matter what sector they've worked in yeah and you get a different perspective making, yeah. on how a business is run yeah and I, I saw this in action recently I was very lucky to spend some time at the Van Gogh Museum uh, in Amsterdam and this is exactly a process they've gone through so the guy who runs their business operations has worked for KLM yeah. Worked for the state yeah. railway system. And you could see that professionalism starting to show in their creative outputs. Right. Their mission was absolutely crystal clear. And how they ran their business to, to achieve that mission was phenomenal. And, the, you know, the head of HR and finance had come in from a different sector. I mean, it was really only the curatorial stream where the senior manager was, was yeah, from the from sector. That. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've been having this discussion about working museums, and we've talked a lot about curatorial. But yeah. actually, the museum, the face of the museum, is diversifying hugely into yeah. digital, into marketing, into comms. These are all hugely important roles. Yeah. We're going to be recruiting them from a whole host yeah, of different backgrounds, backgrounds I mean, and yeah. roots. Yeah. And so, actually, the roles within a museum that are kind of that traditional curatorial, that that kind of career path in, will be will be only one minor career yeah, path. Yeah, whereas before, it was the the major, yeah. The, major. the 250-year-old yeah, heritage, 20- yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, when I'm recruiting, I'm really interested in people who come from different sectors and backgrounds. And even if they're coming in for curatorial roles, yeah. you know, it's what else do you bring that's, that's going to change the way this organisation looks and thinks about its collections and its exhibitions and its public engagement? Yeah. Because the model has worked really, really well for 250 years.
0: But we're in a very yeah. vastly different yeah. landscape yeah. at the moment. So for people who were at that point, for, for example, when you decided that you wanted to make that change, what what kind of advice would you give to them?
1: Do you mean the change from curatorial to management? No,
0: the, the, the change when you were moved from career one to career two. Oh, three, OK. Yeah.
1: I think for me, and I did this by accident, was being completely open to new possibility. So lots of people don't like change. I really quite like change. And I think that shows in my career path and the fact that I'm not afraid of it. And I I view, it's, it's, it's like New Year. Some people hate New Year because they think about what's past and what's never gonna happen again. I always yeah. start New Year thinking, I wonder what will happen next year. But it's being open to that possibility in an informed way yeah. so it's not about being reckless it's not about making decisions Go, yeah I'll do that I'll yeah, move yeah. my whole life up north that'd be yeah. great it's about being open to possibility and having a support network around you where you can really uh, discuss this so when I applied for this job the first thing I did was I pinged out an email to four or five real key mentors and advisors to me and said what do you think about this well, do you think this is right for what, for what you know about me do you think this is right is yeah. it the right move what do you think and that was really helpful for me to be able to do that. And to and I really valued at that point in my career having that handful of people who knew me well yeah. enough to, to, to ask them that question. And also through kind of these leadership courses and I had learned how to become very self-reflective. So you've, yeah. you've got to really know yourself and that's the skill you need to learn yeah. as well. So you don't make, you're not really making um, a decision in isolation you are you know whether it's your husband or other family members or peers or mentors yeah, sector yeah. mentors so you know and you look at you look at things holistically you know coming up you know was the job right but was moving to the northeast right yeah, was it a lifestyle yeah was it right for the lifestyle yes yeah.
0: so that's my last question wow okay but thank you very
1: much that was a bit for uh, sorry yeah, no no no, no, no.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com.